Hello and welcome to the final episode of our first season, Conflicts the Podcast. This is a podcast where we speak to film technicians working in the industry, typically in Canada, hopefully in North Ontario whenever we can, and this first season we're able to focus an awful lot on North Ontario, specifically Thunder Bay as well. We were pretty lucky in that regard. Today's guest has been a well, he's been a member of this film industry for quite some time. Um, he's a key grip by the name of Tyler Ems. We first worked together, gosh, back in, I think, 2012. And uh, it's been fantastic knowing him all this time and seeing the many great successes that he has had in this industry. Now, the weird thing about this episode was when he came down, we decided to film it at the same time. We also did this one live in front of an audience. So the audio is going to feel a little different. And if you want to see this one, you can also check out the video version of this podcast, which will be available on the Conflicts YouTube page. So you can always go check out uh, the interview there. So this is the audio version of it. And so we've recorded a separate intro for all of you. Uh, we had a really, really great time. We got to film this in our brand new uh, movie theater, which just finished renovations. So it's 7.1 surround sound, beautiful 4K projector. It's just the best. We had a live audience in, 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 uh, in the auditorium, and Tyler was unable to talk to some of the uh, students afterwards. The entire production was filmed, lit, and recorded by our students. Uh, so you can see firsthand the quality of work uh, that our amazing students can do. So uh, enjoy it there, enjoy it here, enjoy it everywhere. Look at me, I'm Dr. Seuss all of a sudden. And we're going to uh, start with this one, our final episode. We really hope you've had a great time with us so far. Again, if you want to hear more about the program, about the film industry, or if you want to hear from more technicians uh, working in Canada, uh, please like, support, share, get the word out, um, and hopefully we can get enough interest to come back and do a second season because we have more incredible guests lined up that we would love to bring up. So without further ado, let us begin episode nine, the season finale of Tyler M's. Thank you uh, very much everyone for being here today. We are recording this in our brand new lecture theater. Uh, we've got a lot of students here, a lot of people in the community, people from uh, different film communities, uh, NOSFA, um, and I believe we've got someone here from uh, Vox Popular as well. So uh, wonderful to see uh, people in the community here. Thank you so much for taking your time and joining us. So first of all, can we just get a big round of applause? Thank you so much, Tyler Ems, for being here. Thanks for having me. So I, I, I start every interview with the same basic question. It's, it's, it's not interesting to anyone who isn't in film. Uh, we'll see. Are you a movie nerd? Obviously, I, I mean, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm very heavily tattooed. Most of them are movie related. Absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So, um, have you always been a movie nerd? Oh yeah, I was raised on American satellite television. I'm from the middle of nowhere, Northern Ontario. I'm originally from the hearst Capiscasing area. And for some of you older people in the crowd, like myself, I was raised on one of those giant satellite dishes that was like 10 feet across and you watch it move across the sky when you were switching. So HBO, Showtime, all of it, I grew up on it. That's awesome. Did, was that back when there was like a phone book of all the channels and everything? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The TV guy was like this thick by like eight by 10 sheet of paper. So um, at what point in your age did you think, is this something I kind of want to do for a living? So when I was in 
University. I went to Bishop's University in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Um, they had uh, the starts, like I caught just the beginning on my way out of their film theory program. It was, you know, you studied book movies like books. Um, and what I realized is that I may never be able to do this where I live because there is no infrastructure in Northern Ontario for this. If I want to stay close to home, it's not going to be something I'm going to be able to do. Um, I might have to go to Toronto. I know there's some kind of a film industry there. I know movies have been made in Toronto. It's like the start of Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. They make movies in Toronto. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden I'd, I'd been out of school for about two years and they first real big show in Northern Ontario made its, you know, headed north to get some tax credits and it was uh, Kids in the Hall. Death Comes to Town, a miniseries they did. Was that the, that was the first one? Yeah, that oh, was my first show. Wow. Um, and back then, there was no infrastructure in the north, so they didn't know how to hire locals coming up there, and they put it on the radio. So I, I answered a radio ad. Uh, I sent in my resume, and I happened to leave in there that I, I played high school football, you know, leadership skills and all that jazz. And uh, I get a phone call from the best boy electric, and his first question is, so it says here in your resume you played high school football. Well, how big are you? I was like, I don't know, 6'3", 240, 250. Good, good, good. Because in his mind, never being on a film set, even if I don't learn a lick of anything, I can still move their heavy stuff around. Uh, as it was, I, I spent three days with those electrics and then spent the entire next five weeks with the grips. I'm, I'm a little jealous. Kids in the Hall, that's outstanding. I was obsessed with them when oh, I was yeah. young. Who, the, who's, who's your favorite? Is there a favorite? Uh, I would have to say Scott Thompson. Yeah. Uh, I've worked with him a couple of times since. And, you know, sometimes you meet a guy once and you think maybe he's just putting on. The, but the, Scott Thompson is buddy. Awesome. Uh, yeah, he is. From really the original is. Kids in the Hall. He is a lovely gentleman. And uh, it's been a good number of years since I've seen him, but just just an awesome, awesome guy. And I will never forget his rap out speech on Kids in the Hall, uh, Death Comes to Town. Um, he, we were in Mattawa, which if you're unfamiliar, is a tiny little two street town just east of North Bay. And his final scene is him driving a Zamboni down the streets of Mattawa. And his rap out speech is, I used to think beating leukemia was the highlight of my life till I got to drive a Zamboni down the streets of Mattawa. Well, Dave Foley wraps out the next night and he says, I used to think beating Scott's leukemia was the highlight of my life. <laughs> so when you were, uh, when you were young and you, you knew this was something that was of interest to you, but obviously how I'm gonna get there is another story. Um, was, there a, was there a particular movie that stood out for you? Did you have like a movie that said, now I know this is what I gotta do? So I was a huge fan of the Rocketeer when I was a kid. Um, you know, it was Jennifer Connelly in her prime. Some actor who I had seen in an episode of Star Trek once was playing the main character. And, you know, like it was, this was pre-Marvel everything. Like pre, I think it was probably maybe around the same time as the Tim Burton Batmans in that, mm -hmm. 8990. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, like I just, wanted to meet these people and know these people. And, you know, I, I got that opportunity because uh, years and years later, I keyed uh, uh, all four seasons of a TV show called Cardinal. And our number one actor 
was the gentleman who played the Rocketeer. And they say, never meet your heroes, but that is a full lie, because <laughs> he was everything I could have hoped for and more. Billy Campbell was a salt-of-the-earth gentleman that I, to this day, still have contact with. That's absolutely lovely. Now, you had told me earlier about uh, uh, a, a, special, a special gift he gave you. I don't know if you wanted to share that, with, just to solidify how awesome he is. Well, there was a couple. I mean, uh, you know, you, you spend four seasons of a show with someone and you get comfortable. So it started out with uh, he would buy us bottles of tequila at the end of the show and then the end of the last season, he knew what a huge fan of the Rocketeer I was. In fact, I have a Rocketeer tattoo on my leg. I got this tattoo between season three and season four, and then when he came back for season four, he actually signed it for me and showed up at the tattoo session the next day uh, and hung out and, you know, watched me get his name <laughs> forever put on my leg. Um, but at the end of the season, he... Uh, knowing what a fan I was of, of his early uh, work, he went out and found an entire complete graphic novel, mint condition of The Rocketeer, and he wrote a beautiful letter to my wife and I as she became, she started out as an assistant on the show, and as the seasons progressed, she became the head of department hair. Um, so she, he wrote us a beautiful letter in it, and, and yeah, it's a keepsake that sits on my bookshelf till the end of time. That's awesome. That's awesome. See, there are, there are nice people in this industry. Absolutely. They I've, really I've are. some wonderful, wonderful yeah. talent. Some people get the magic, you know what I mean? And they get how lucky and, and this, this all is. And those are the people I always gravitate towards as well. For me, it's the, the ones that just realize that this is just a job like any other job. They don't hold themselves in any higher esteem than anyone else. You know, I've had conversations with Ethan, Ethan Hawke about American traditional tattoos. I've, you know, I've, I've drank with the Trailer Park Boys. Uh, you know, uh, Pat Roach and Seth Green tried to kill me with marijuana once. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, they're, uh, those are the ones you like to meet, not the ones that just kind of, I've, I've, you know, built snowmen at 11 o'clock at night with Kevin Duran who a lot of people don't know him. He's one of those ones that if you don't know his name, you'll definitely recognize his face. We know him here because he's Thunder Bay. That's he's, right. Yes. That is right. Yeah. When I worked with him in the Sioux, he was super excited because Sioux St. Marie was at the closest he ever got to work to his family. So he brought his family down. They came and hung out and like got to see him do what he does. Yeah. Um, I've only worked with him twice. But yeah, that's a memory I'll always have is building 11 feet tall snowmen with Kevin Durant outside of a hotel. Because when you're on the road, like we do in Northern Ontario, Toronto, it's a little different. Actors will go back to their hotels. You go back to your home. You don't really have that outside of work interaction. Whereas up here, you're sequestered with them, and they're just as, as much at a loss with friends as you are. So you end up hanging out with, with, the, uh, with the crew and cast. And, you know, like I had the cast to add one boy into my room till 6 in the morning one night. They all had the day off, but I had to start at 7.30. <laughs> But all right, all my students plug their ears. <laughs> Twelve-hour turnaround minimum. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you, uh, so your first, your first real gig, just happens to be with the Canadian legends. So you're with Kids in the Hall, and 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 I watched that on TV. I was so jazzed to see my heroes back on TV. Um, so how did you, how did you, how did how did we roll this? What? So you, you, you did five weeks, you had a good time, and then you decided what? To be honest, I owe everything in my early career to one gentleman, uh, someone you probably know very well, Mr. Bob Harper. 
Yes, of course. Wow, um, Bob Harper. Bob Harper was the first key grip I ever worked for. Uh, he was the key grip on Kids in the Hall. And um, basically the last day of Kids in the Hall, I lost a coin toss with the other daily who was, go who was going to uh, work the last day. And uh, Bob says, don't worry about it. You're going to go down to a place called Production Services. I know they're the, the enemy. <laughs> you're going to go down to a place called Production Services in Toronto, and you're going to load a truck for your next show. Well, I went from a six or seven man team on, on kids in the hall, all with about 20 years experience teaching me, to now I'm the only third working with a best boy from Thunder Bay, Peter Skronsky. Oh, crazy. Wow, grad of here from uh, 2005, I think? Yeah, yep, 2005 my second grad. show ever. He was the best boy, I was the third, and we were working for a key uh, named Mark Mavernack who hadn't worked with a grip team in 20 years because he was working exclusively in Denmark as a dolly grip. And they do things a little different in Europe. There's yes. one department, you don't have grip and lighting, you have lighting, and the only real grip is the dolly grip. So he had been living that life and, and kind of forgot how to work with a crew. Um, Bob came up to do a bunch of car stuff on the show um, with his mounts and everything, and saw me running around like a chicken with my head cut off, doing every job in the grip department under the sun, and just kind of took me under his wing, and it got a little... You know, if he heard about something coming up north, he'd give me a heads up. If I found out about a show, I'd be calling him and asking, do you know anyone? Nine times out of ten, he would, and he'd, you know, put me in touch with the right people, and it would get me on the next show as a third. Uh, and then, you know, very shortly after that, I, I, within two and a half years, started keying smaller budget indies and hallmarks and, you know, kind of where we all cut our teeth. Yeah. And... Uh, I ran into Bob at a rap party once and he said, you know, I used to worry about Tyler because he'd call me and say, you know, do you know anyone or you, you hear about any work coming up? And now he doesn't call me anymore. <laughs> I know he's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. I owe my, almost my entire career at least the start of it to Mr. Harper. That's fantastic. Lovely, That's, lovely gentleman. Yeah, he is. He really is. You're, you're in Toronto? For the most part, at this point, early on, so or or no, you're kind of actually, bouncing back and forth, uh, or I so I did a handful of calls my first year in film. Uh, I did that day. I did a day on Red. Um, that was shocking. I had done like two shows at this point, and my first call to eight seven three is the biggest show in Toronto at the point, and suddenly, oh, there goes John Malkovich. <laughs> oh, holy crap! It's Bruce Willis. Yeah, I was a big fan of Weeds at the time. I was like, oh. Yeah, Louise Parker. That's right. I love you. <laughs> um, the only one I didn't get was Morgan Freeman. He was the one actor who had that night off. But then I did a uh, little bit of time on Covert Affairs, season one. Um, and then I just, I kind of never went back for a decade to Toronto. Yeah. Uh, it got busy enough in the north that I'm not a big fan of cities. So if I can stay out of cities, I will. Um, and luckily the film industry kind of started to speed up at that point in Northern Ontario. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, with the help of EI, which never, never feel bad about taking EI in the film industry, you pay into it, collect it. Yep. Employment insurance, it's there for people who like us who are seasonal workers. Um, with the help of EI, I was able to work a bit, sit around and wait for the next one work a bit, sit around and wait for the next one. I'm still kind of in that world, but now I'm an incorporated business, so it's like, squirrel my money away, 
Try not to go broke while sitting or eating around for the next one. Because <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, if you're an incorporated business, you don't qualify for employment insurance. But as young people starting out, by all means, take full advantage of that system. It's there for people like us. Now, when, you, uh, when, when we first met loading out uh, for The Witch in, t in 2015, that was my second Northern show. We really hadn't done the North Ontario stuff. No, because the first, the first while it was mostly PS. Yeah, yeah, because they had that little outlet in, Port, in Perry Sound. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Until it, got it was shut an down. office just far enough north to qualify for the tax credit. Yeah. But you still went to Toronto to load your truck. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and the same with us. So I met, so like I said, I know we talked about it before, but uh, I had to oversee the first one, which was uh, the magical Shelby, the dog who saves Christmas. Uh, and if the title doesn't for, do it for you, it stars Tom Arnold. And if that doesn't do it for you, it also has Chevy Chase. <laughs> Uh, and Rob Schneider voiced the dog, just no saying. No way. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. He was never on set. It was all ADR, but Rob That's Schneider voiced the, the dog. Because he wasn't on the call sheets, I was going to say. I don't remember seeing his name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, The Witch. I got to admit, it was a tiny little show. Uh, it was north of Mattawa, wasn't it? Uh, it was uh, It was the northernmost point of Algonquin Park, and it was uh, about... 20 kilometers west down Highway 17 from Mattawa, but then like a 20-minute drive out into the middle of nowhere. Um, we, like, there was a caravan at lunch every day of people driving back to where they had cell phone reception to check their messages every day. We called it Cell Phone Point. Because, <laughs> like, if you had anything to do on a phone, you weren't doing it where we were shooting. Right. It was kind of nice. It brought back the barroom argument, like, because no one could check Google. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was just west of Mattawa, technically. And you're basically on that show, and I'm assuming a lot of people here have seen The Witch, because I know it was kind of a, it was kind of a big hit. Uh, the director kind of went on to do a couple of things. Might have launched some careers. Might have launched a few careers. Uh, Queen's Gambit, to say the least. Okay, so um, I have to admit, all, all of us were just completely shocked uh, at, at the reception of this film and it, when it came out. But obviously, when we're making it, so are we. Yeah, <laughs> we did not see that coming. So uh, yeah, so you're you're shooting out in the middle of nowhere. We we had a, a bunch of pictures up on a on a PowerPoint earlier before we started this interview. So a lot of people got to see bug masks. Oh. So how how if you're all wearing bug masks, then how upset was the cast? And how come we don't see all the bites? <laughs> so really good makeup artists. Uh, I believe it was Tracy Loader who was uh, head of department makeup on that show. But uh, they actually will find, um, what's the word, eco-friendly bug stuff that they can mix in with the makeup. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen it on multiple other shows too because uh, I live in Northern Ontario and that's just how it goes when you're shooting in the spring, early summer. Um, but yeah, they tend to mix it in and then when they're, when they're getting to run away from camera, they're just dousing themselves in bug juice everywhere they can while avoiding the hair and face. Of course, yeah. Um, but every once in a while you blow a tick because they just, you know, they're swarming in their face and it's, it's tough to deal with. We did a season of Cardinal that was called Black Fly Season and it was shot during Black Fly Season. It was, it was atrocious. Yikes. It, but... I mean, it's, it's like so many other shows in Northern Ontario, they're coming for a specific thing, whether it be the, the look of nature or the beauty of our snowfalls. Like, it's, 
comes with the territory, quite Absolutely. literally. Absolutely. And so uh, how long was that show? How long was the, do you remember? The Witch? Was that three, I want to say three months, but maybe that's. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't get shows. I didn't think it was, but I remember just we it being gone for so long. We shot The Witch. It was, I remember, it was a 25-day shooting schedule, so five weeks. Okay. Um, we did 26 days because we didn't get everything. That's right, because um, the 26th day was in the, the barn, yeah. Yeah, the, the dilapidated lumber mill that we call the studio. <laughs> uh, and then there was some, some stuff shot on location in um, uh, the US, Massachusetts. I wasn't part of that. That was all shot after the fact, but I think they did a week or two there. That was the, the town, right? The, the little town that they... All the exterior town, yeah. The yeah. interior court scenes where they're getting cast out and everything, that was in that, yes. that lumber mill. They built the sets in there. And actually, a lot of people in those scenes were crew. Like, one of the pictures you showed earlier was my dolly grip, Greg Murray, dressed up in the full, like, old English garb. Yeah. So, uh, Luke Benning, his brother is a DP in Toronto, Jeremy Benning, he does The oh, Expanse, he does all the, Luke is a special effects guy, and he's got what we call, uh, what I like to call the Dirty Guy Fox, it's like the overgrown French mustache with the goatee, so they slapped him in like the old pilgrim hat and everything, put him on camera, one of the judges was our production manager, Brian Campbell, uh, the one sitting next to Julian Richings, yep. who actually does I think a lot of the speaking Brian Campbell does oh cool uh, yeah so there was a lot of crew in that in those opening scenes where it was it helped them save on costs absolutely all all hands on deck right that's how it works the tattoos and and, and that kept me out which thank God I try I try my darndest to not be on camera though it has happened now um, the Witch has gone on to become a massive success and congrats to everyone involved in it but making that film did not no one was happy making that film. <laughs> Everyone loves The Witch unless you worked on The Witch. Because yes. it just, it brings back terrible, terrible memories. It was just grueling. Um, don't get me wrong, like, the final product, it's an awesome movie. I will be one of the first to admit that. But to this day, it is still one of the toughest jobs I've ever done as a key. Um, there, the, the location restraints, the, the muck, the, what you gotta understand is the witch was shot in the spring, but it's set in the fall. Uh, we felt really bad for our onset dresser, a gentleman named Josh Bradford, because there was this one particular bush between their, uh, little barn and their house being spring, this, this bush that's, you know, probably eight feet across by six or seven feet tall is starting to bud. So when you get bored out there in no cell phone service and you're sitting around while they're you know, processing actors or people are waiting for us to finish lighting or whatever, you would go and pick buds off the trees with Josh just to pass the time. <laughs> um, but I've, to this day, I, I don't think I've, I've worked on a set where the camaraderie was, was quite to that level because we didn't have access to our devices. We were forced to talk to each other. <laughs> And, um, you know, we, we had a, a common enemy in the location and certain people that maybe we didn't get along with or as a whole. So, I mean, I've ne yeah, I've, I've never seen a crew bond quite like the crew did on The Witch. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome.
So that was uh, that was the second uh, northern show for us in Toronto, and after that we had our Sudbury office, and I never had to deal with this again. And it's no, you and left it all to Josh. Yeah, left it all to Josh, uh, another conflicts grad. But I, but the thing that always terrified me about these shows in the middle of nowhere is that if something goes wrong, there is literally nothing for you to do. You know, because I know we would give you extra ballasts for your HMIs, and we'll give you some extra cables, and we're gonna extra head cables and all this stuff. But again, like. Good luck to you, like if anything happens. So like, did that happen on set? Did you have something fail? And then it's like, okay, Tyler, this is what we pay you for. Um, I mean, every show we have something fail. It's, it's no... It's electrics, it happens, right? Yeah, Electrical. that's it, right? Like ballasts go out or someone drives over a tea tower. I witnessed that one in the Sioux. I was working as a third electric and... Who and was it? I know that tea tower, by the way. Uh, I might have been the transport coordinator. <laughs> Moving we, around his personal little RV trailer. We have it hanging in our cable, and I know the one. We have it hanging in the cable department back at, uh, back at White's. So I'm working as a third electric. At this point, I've never been an electric, uh, but the, uh, at the time we used to call them best boys, now we call them assistants. Uh, the best boy electric, uh, Mark Watton is his name. Uh, he calls me and says, I need a guy in Northern Ontario. We hear you're the guy. I was like, yeah, but I'm a grip. I'm not an electric. He's like, I don't care. You're a guy. We'll take you. And, you know, it's a three-man show. It's me, Mark, and the guy from Morgan Sainsbury. And we're doing this show called Story Luke. And we're in this uh, little cul-de-sac. And the transport coordinator, I'll leave his name out, uh, he backs his little trailer over a T-tower and sparks start flying everywhere. I'm not an electric. <laughs> so I get on the walkie, all calm, and... Um, Mark, um, the, uh, someone just uh, ran over a tea tower and sparks are flying everywhere. Well, Mark's in the house that we're shooting in at this point, and all you see is him come flying out the door and running down the street to shut down the Jenny, because it's one of those early shows where you don't have a full-time Jenny up, and like it's, yeah, so he ended up, he was doing kind of double duty and triple duty sometimes, and he, <laughs> Comes running down the street. He's like, next time, show some urgency. I was like, uh, okay, I told you I'm a grip. The things I use don't plug in. <laughs> There's a reason I chose to be a grip. Our stuff doesn't plug in. It doesn't break, it just rips. And when it rips, we send it back and get a new one. And the reason we still have this, or at least we did when I left in 2019, is because that is a really sturdy piece of equipment. I don't know how, like it's, it's, a tower of power is basically five three-phase 220-volt plugs. And you basically are feeding in four-aught cable, very thick gauge cable, to separate into three smaller lines. So you can distribute your power among, among your set. But that thing is built to last. You should, like, like SCTV, you can throw that off a building and it's no Plug problem. it in and it's fine. Plug it in and it's fine. And when we saw it like that, like that is, that's effort. And it wasn't like an 18-wheeler or anything. It was a pickup truck pulling a small RV. Um, yeah, to this day, I've never seen anything like that happen, but I just was lucky enough to be an electric on that show. <laughs> now, there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of northern shows that we can, I, I could bug you about all day long, so I just want to pluck a couple 
and we'll just sort of uh, mosey along down your down your life in film. <laughs> um, one of the one of my favorite because when I when I looked at your IMDb, one of my favorite films that you worked on, uh, Born to Be Blue, the Chet Baker ah. story with Ethan Hawke. So you keep lovely, it, lovely guy by the way. He's amazing. We we worked uh, uh, Stockholm. We did camera tests um, for Stockholm, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm in there with with I don't even know half the people, right? I'm just I'm just smiling and letting. If you need anything, I'm here. And there's this really creepy dude walking around with a gun, and like I mean, he looks creepy, long greasy hair and this mustache and big glasses, and I was terrified of him. We were oh, all on film sets, by the way. Yo, yeah, this serious. Is the weirdest stuff. Weirdest stuff. And so he's creeping me out big time. And so when it's all done, thank God, and I run back to my desk. Two minutes later, it was like, so did you get Ethan Hawke's autograph? I was Ethan Hawke the whole time. He creeped the hell out of me. That guy's a killer actor. Oh, he was. He's incredible. And, yeah, he was. He was great. He nailed the role. Um, the show itself was uh, it was really smooth. Uh, it was my first time working for Steve Cousins as the DP. I I worked as a third on Citizen Gangster, and that's where the confusion came in because he was the DP for that as well. Um, so I remembered him from that. He didn't remember me at all. <laughs> uh, Story of my life. <laughs> now he's he's one of my closest friends in the film industry. I've done five or six shows for him. Uh, including two seasons of Cardinal, Born to Be Blue, um, Honey Bee, which at the time was called I don't remember, but it's it's called Honey Bee now. It's about um, prostitutes who work in truck stops, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh. And it delves darkly, and Martha Plimpton's in it, former Goonies. Yo, I I saw the trailer for that. Yeah. Oh, Crazy, cool. I'm yeah. All right, you worked um, on that. Yeah, I did. I keyed that, um, but a very great DP. And he had a very particular look he wanted for Born to be Blue and would stop at nothing to get that look. And what was that look? Dark and uh, just just dim and natural. The Steve Cousins way is he's going to put up a bigger light than he needs and then you're going to lay like six layers of muzz on it. In the city they call him Steve Muzzins. <laughs> Uh, I finally got him hooked on white duvetine because nice. at least I could only lay down three layers instead sure. of six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he likes very soft, natural lighting, and that's, uh, I mean, Born to be Blue was all about that. I mean, obviously, minus the, the jazz club scenes where it's atypical club popping lights. and I, like, I'm a big fan of Chet Baker. I, I don't know if you know Brad Danilishan at William mm -hmm. F. White Demo. Uh, so he would, when, when we were first, when I first started at White's, he was so friendly, and we would exchange CDs constantly, just music, here's Tom Waits, oh, here's Chet Baker. And, uh, and, and I got so into his music and, and a lot of the imagery of him, because of course he had a very troubled life, um, is very dark. A lot of it is really hard contrast. Yep. And like, so when I saw the film, it, was, it, it felt like this, whoever this DP was, they really knew. Oh yeah, Steve does his research on whatever he's shooting. It was beautiful, absolutely um, beautiful. He's, he's a master of his, he came from a grip and lighting background, like so many DPs out there, and uh, which is actually really nice, because, I mean, it's tough to bullshit him. Yep. But uh, <laughs> because he knows how long it's actually going to take you to do something, so there is no adding that extra few minutes. But he also doesn't expect more than what you're capable of with the team you have, yeah. in terms of size and everything. He understands the budget he's working with, and will maintain a, a constant workflow within that budget, which is 
nice. He never expects more than what your team is capable of doing based on your size. So important. Know the extent of your resources. Don't dream beyond it because... And he was one of the first ones that really started embracing the LED world too, in terms of lighting, okay. at least with that I had worked with. And uh, because of that, it, it started to make our life way easier on his shows because he was starting to use the sky panels, the Titan tubes before a lot of other people. Right. And just uh, it, it, those LEDs, they make my life so much simpler. They, they confuse the hell of a lot of electrics, but they make my life simpler because I, you know, color frames are gone. That's a thing of the past. Right. That's a, that, unless, yeah. unless you're dealing with HMIs. And then actually that honeybee, Steve uh, asked me to find, we were shooting in a, in a uh, hotel room that had these particular lavendery purple curtains and he wanted a gel that matched it. And like we searched everywhere. I handed him the swatch book. I was like, man, I, I you d use your DPI and tell me what color you want. The color you picked, surprise pink. The surprise is, it's actually purple. <laughs> um, but whites couldn't find it. MBS couldn't, or PS at the time, couldn't find it. It got down to, it was such a rare color, it got down to the fact that they started calling individual technicians to find it, and one guy had a part roll sitting in his truck that he probably bought in like 1989. Right. But yeah, he, Steve, when he wants something, he wants what he wants. He's, he's a fan of colors that have silly names too, like the first season of Cardinal, he was all about chocolate. We have a roll of chocolate downstairs. Which is, <laughs> as you know, is, is brown, adds a really nice sepia. You're out shooting winter and your snow is too white, throw some chocolate on those lights. It will dumb it down, make it mo look more like the dirty snow you see on the side of the road. That's awesome, that's a good tip for all of us, thank you. Now, I actually, I, I want to pause for a second because you, you brought something up. Maybe I want to ask this as a grip. Like when you're doing a, when, you, when you're doing a loadout for a show, when you've got whites or MBS or wherever you are, right? Skinning frames is a, a big part of that. It's is my that, favorite thing to do at a loadout. Yeah, is that, is that I mean, with, with the lack of uh, color correction, uh, are, are we still seeing a, a, a same amount of frames, but just with more diffusion now? Absolutely, because as much as the color, and don't get me wrong, I still build color frames, it happens. We still play HMIs. Yep. Um, but yeah, the, the diffusion has become ever more important. You're not, there's so many different levels of diffusion that, that exist now that didn't exist before. Like, did you know you can get quarter Hampshire frost now? No, I did not. Quarter, half, full Hampshire. When I started, it was only it was just, just it Hampshire. It was just Hampshire, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, light grid, quarter grid, full grid, gray grid, black grid, uh, magic cloth. Mag people magic have really cloth. embraced. It's beautiful. It, so it, soft. It, yeah, I know. Um, so instead of building, you know, if I'm building 54 by frames, it used to be a pretty even split, like say 30, 20 diffusion to color. Now it's more like 40, 10. I'm building like 40 diffusion frames and 10, not even color frames now. I build a heat shield frame and clip the color on after because we don't know what we're gonna use really. Unless it's a, a special scenario like the chocolate that Steve wanted. We knew we were gonna play a bunch of chocolate that show so we had it permanently built on frames. But as far as color goes now, everything's like clip and play. And so for those of you that don't know, heat shield basically helps prevent the heat from the bulb from affecting glass and other elements. And yeah, and, and color gel has an emulsion layer on it that will melt, same as like you see a, 
a film frame melts in a scene and it just like expands and moves apart from each other as it melts. That's what our color frames do under extreme heat. That emulsion just heats up and it, it separates and melts. The heat shield helps uh, kind of limit that. It'll still burn through, especially when the sparks turn the light on and they don't realize it's in full spot still. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, diffusion is, it, see, I, I, I get a little hung up on building the frames because that's my thing at loadouts. It's as, my favorite too. As the key, I'm never gonna step foot into my truck again once the show has started. So I let my team decide how the truck is packed, that works best for them because they're ultimately the ones packing it at the end of the night. I'm already gone home as a department head. They try to get me off the clock quicker so they save money. But so what I do with the loadout is, because a lot of people hate building frames, I absolutely love it. I will just take a C-stand and all the frames and all the diffusion, I'll go stand in a corner and for the next two or three days, I'll just sit there and build frames. Best time I ever had was when they opened that Whites in Sudbury. Mm -hmm. I built 45 frames in a day and a half, and do you know why? Why it went so fast? Because they were all brand new. Not a single speck of tape or anything to scrape off on any of them. It was amazing, and I've never seen it since. It's one of those small things when you've been skinning frames for so long with that double-sided tape when you've got to spend time shaving it off. Yeah, I can imagine what that was like. Yeah, so that, that first show, so, well, actually, Technically, it was the second show Sudbury Whites did because the first one, we were handed every lesser piece of equipment from every other Whites in Canada. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that second show, by the time all the new stuff had gotten inventoried and everything, it was amazing because like, I've never flown through so many frames so fast. There was, I, I want to say his name was Sanguin, Matthew Sanguin, although I'm going on memory from 10 Matt years. Matt Yeah. So... William F. White had announced the Sudbury office, but it wasn't even open yet, okay? The, the building was there, but it was empty, but they had done this big press announcement, and he called the same day and put it in order for equipment. <laughs> and I'm just terrified because there's nothing there. So yeah, we called up, we called up Vancouver, we called oh, up yeah, Calgary, you did. Yeah, yeah. and you know, when, it, well, <laughs> No offense to people from Vancouver, but when they hear, oh, it's Sudbury, yeah, just, mm-hmm. And so that's the story. I apologize. Our, our it dolly was rough the first came couple from, of weeks. I think, Vancouver, but our, our leveling head came from Halifax. <laughs> um, we were getting crates of pads from Vancouver. It's like, really? Someone couldn't have gone out and bought a sheet of plywood and just cut it? <laughs> They're going to ship the pads from you, Vancouver? You, you would be surprised how hard it is to get pads. You, will, you would be surprised. I, I, I'll, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how, but it is difficult. I don't get it. Yeah, because that first show we did out of the Sudbury Whites was Anti-Birth, I believe. Oh, with Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, and, oh, and Natasha Lyonne. Yeah. Um, weird, weird movie, but super fun to work on. I bet. That um, was a weird movie. Acid trips and aliens, basically. Yeah. Like uh, the Natasha Leone, you may know from the American Pie movies or Orange is the New Black. Uh, uh, she, what's the new one she was on? Uh, the Russian Doll. Russian Doll, that's right, yeah. Um, but she becomes pregnant with an alien and like doesn't even realize she's pregnant at first kind of thing. And, and by the end, a full-grown, my-size alien is coming out of her. Yeah. And... That was the first show that the, the Sudbury office of Whites had done, I believe. Very cool. Yeah, and then 
we got all that new stuff for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> and it, the unfortunate thing was, because your whites was in the Northern Ontario Film Studios, yep. which is a mis bit of a misnomer. It's a hockey rink. Yeah. Um, but they were, they had a little shop in there and we got to watch, because we were in studio at that point, we got to watch all this new gear roll in and we can't touch a lick of it. <laughs> Josh, Josh. What, what do you say? We just flip out some of these stands that are broken for those brand yeah, new ones. Yeah. Oh, they're not inventoried yet. We'll come in on the weekend and help you inventory. We yeah. don't care. We want that stuff. <laughs> That's so true. It's so true. And the littlest things too. I remember we were, we were, we ran out of flags. That's how busy we were. We ran out of flags. And I had to go get the stripped ones and I had to hand cut duvetine and I, and I clipped them to the frames just to load out a yep. show. It was just, I felt horrible, but it was just to get out the door. And then as we're doing it, you just see the new ones coming in. And it's, 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 it's so fascinating how tight things get in this industry. The funny thing is, is it's, as much as Weiss is expanding and, and all the rental houses are is expanding, it's, it's worse now. And that's not a bad thing. It's worse, the shortage of gear is because there's just that much more production going on that they can't keep up. We can't keep up with technicians. They can't keep up with gear. It's the right kind of shortages. Yeah. Um, because we're in, in an age of mass consumption of media like the world has never seen before with the streaming services and everyone's got their own now. Theaters still being a big thing. There's just home entertainment is huge. Like how many of you down a show and then you're, you're downing three more the next day like it's it, we consume media yes. like never before it's great it's a great time to be a film it technician it really is um so uh, a, a big favorite um amongst everyone at william f white a show that that uh, we helped uh see happen and when i did my imdb research there was your name uh indian horse ah yes that was um that was a little emotional that one like to to witness what those indigenous children went through was was it was effed up like plain and simple it was dark and like what you see in that movie is a fraction of the stories we got from the actual indigenous people who worked on and starred in the film um we had indigenous people on set who would have to leave because it would bring up such heavy memories and feelings that that were either processed or unprocessed in themselves. It was, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I loved working on the movie. Aj, the main actor, one of the main actors was great. They were all great. Sladen, the youngest version of Saul was awesome. Uh, subsequently, the only one of the three versions of Saul who could play hockey in real life. That caused its own <laughs> world of headaches, but, um, yeah, it was, I, I'm, it's one of the movies that I'm most proud of having worked on just to help bring light to the issues that went on in that, that space and time. Clint Eastwood, obviously, when you, when you put that name on, it helps to... That name came on after the fact. Oh, did it come after? Oh, yeah. okay. Um, our director, Steve Campanelli, yeah. uh, he was Clint Eastwood's camera guy for a good amount of time, like Gran Torino, I believe. Uh, the Sully Sullenberg story, the Miracle on the Hudson where the plane crashed. He was yep. the camera guy for a bunch of that. Knows Clint very well. And and it was one of those, like, you shoot this thing and we'll see after the fact. And I, he became more involved. And my understanding is, is 
well above the line, of course. Um, but uh, my understanding is he became more involved in the distribution and everything later gotcha. down the line. Like our main producers were a group of people from Vancouver on that. Um, Steve Campanelli, one of the most passionate directors that I've seen on set. Um, he, <laughs> being from the camera world, he does not settle for mediocrity in camera. Yeah. Because he knows, he knows his shots, he knows what he wants to get, he knows how to achieve it. So to, to butt heads with him in a camera respect, you're not gonna win that fight. Even when you have a camera operator like we had for Indian Horse who had done scenes on the original X-Men movies and one of the best Steadicam operators in Canada and Daniel's in uh, a gentleman named Daniel Sauvé. Um, him and Steve got along, but like, they each kind of had their own visions and Steve being the director and having that camera background kind of won out as he should have in most of those cases. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I, I always marveled because I saw it before it, it, it hit the theaters and I know that the big Silver City right beside William F. White in, uh, in Etobicoke had just a massive poster up of it. And I just thought that you could see it in the highway. It was unavoidable, you could see yep. this poster. And I just thought it was so wonderful that that it, it got the push here. I mean, it, it, it was a movie that needed to be seen, obviously. Yep, it and, absolutely and, did. Yeah. Um, I, I have many fond memories uh, from working on it. I met a lot of great people. Um, we did a, a good amount of bouncing around, like uh, the vast majority was done in Northern Ontario, but we did do a couple of weeks in Peterborough as well. Because um, uh, the actual, uh, building we used for the school was an old nunnery in Peterborough that just fit the look of an old residential school. And uh, you, so you were there for all the ice stuff? I and, was. Uh, did you use the ice dolly? Uh, so yes and no. Um, we used it in that, as I was saying earlier, uh, two out of the three actors who played Saul were not strong skaters. Uh, and the producers had just done a movie in, in Vancouver with The Rock. Uh, terrible, terrible movie called The Tooth Fairy. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, don't come after me, Dwayne Johnson, if you ever see this, but my understanding is you can't skate for beans. <laughs> so they put me in touch with the key grip who did The Tooth Fairy and had to fake these skating scenes with The Rock. And he's like, yeah, we used an old solo flex and we had you know, three weeks of, of prep for just that, and we had three on-ice training sessions, and I was like, great, I have none of those things. Uh, so what we had was this sled dolly that you're supposed to put your, your peewee dolly on, and, and then you can, it's got blades on it, and you can move it around the ice. What I found did a better job than the blades was bolting hockey pucks to the bottom, because hockey pucks being designed yeah. to slide on ice, they just gave us more freedom to the left or right. I've never thought to do that, that's super smart. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then what we did was I went out and I bought a sheet of Teflon, like actual Teflon, and screwed that down to the camera dolly and then used the handle of the camera dolly. There was a picture in your little slide. I saw too, that, yeah. Uh, where we strapped Aj, the actor, to that and we put him in some really soft socks. And then we could only shoot him looking slightly up as he pretended to skate around the ice because we had very little time to figure out how to get them there and this was the fastest way. Then we took that whole sled and linked that to the Steadicam Ops uh, rickshaw right. that he uses to get pulled around for faster moving scenes and that. 
So you're talking the weight of two people plus an aluminum rickshaw plus the aluminum camera dolly being pulled around at speed by two grips on skates, myself being one of those grips. Uh, the other being my dolly grip, Adam Horwood, who started in Northern Ontario. Uh, we went to high school together. Like oh, that's we crossed cool. paths on two different shows in the Sioux years ago. And I was like, knowing his mentality and his ability to, to get slapped in the face and ask for another with a smile. I was like, you are going to be a wonderful dolly grip someday. You're going to come <laughs> push dolly for me. Now he's pushing dolly on shows like Reacher, Umbrella Academy, uh, big time stuff in Toronto. Um, but yeah, it was me and him, the two guys on my crew who could skate and, and played, you know, some semi-serious hockey in our younger days. We're dragging this whole rickshaw build around the ice and not, you know, a, a fun little family skate. We had to move at the speed of hockey players. It was a little tiring. I hadn't been on skates in, in the better part of a decade at that point. But it's amazing. It's like, it's like riding a bike, how fast it comes back to you. Yeah. And trying not to kick the guy next to you because you know, you're two feet apart from each other, both doing full strides, trying to drag this monstrosity around the ice. That's hilarious. Were, did you ever play on the uh, Letterkenny team when you were on Letterkenny? No, no. no. I, I, I got one of the summer blocks of Letterkenny, uh. so there was no, no hockey fun. We used to, uh, when we were doing Citizen Gangster, Edwin Boyd with... Uh, the the hometown hero Kevin Duran. I got to watch him at his. I think he's like six six, two hundred and fifty pounds, like just a jacked guy. Got to watch him accidentally knock out a pay duty police officer on the ice. Uh, pay duties are cops that get paid to come and hang out with us when we're shooting in the streets and stuff like that to keep us safe. Um, our stand-in happened to be friends with one of these pay duty police officers and we were renting uh, the SR Center where the Greyhounds play because their equipment manager showed up as background. I showed up with nothing, I walked out with full equipment. They found size 17 skates for Kevin Durant and him being from Thunder Bay, he's a big hockey guy. Yeah. So, it, I mean, like all of us from Northern Ontario, it's kind of in our blood. Um, but just innocent cop and him both skating for the puck, both heads down and boom. Kevin hit the cop, not intentionally or anything, but it was unstoppable force meets immovable object. And uh, I think the cop was out before he hit the ice. I can imagine. That dude's a tower. Yeah, they, yeah. Picked, the, they picked up the cop and he was laughing and joking. They're like, maybe we should take you to the hospital and get checked out. You might be concussed. Yeah, so they took him to the hospital and get checked out. And like I said, he's laughing and joking. and. My understanding is he doesn't remember anything before the hospital. Wow. From the time he got hit to the time he left the hospital, he has no memory. <laughs> Kevin Durant for sure does though, I bet. <laughs> Stop. I, I, I ran into him uh, uh, a few shows later in Sudbury on this movie called The Dark Truth. He was playing a bit of a bad guy and I didn't realize he was in it. I'm just a low level third. I'm not looking at who the actors are on the call sheets or anything. And I'm standing there doing this four by bounce and I look up and there he is and I just whisper at him, hey Kevin. Try not to knock out any cops this time. <laughs> <laughs> right, right in between takes and everything. He laughed and smiled, big hug. Because again, like, you know, we built snowmen in, yeah. in the frigid tempers of Sault Ste. Marie at 11 o'clock at night. You know, salt of the earth. Love that guy. I want to I wanna end with uh, Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, thank you, COVID. Yes. Uh, that is the only reason a show that size came up north at the time, was they were trying to escape the city. Um, 
they really didn't want to deal with the headaches of quarantines and 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 whatever was going to happen in the world of Toronto film at that point because we had stricter measures than some medical facilities when it came to keeping us safe so they they wanted out of the Resident Evil wanted to not shoot in Toronto Sudbury being the mining town that it is was a perfect fit it had that dark dank feel for what they were going for because what you see in that Resident Evil is not the shining city of Raccoon City it's Umbrella's pulling out, the city's going to waste, and bad things are about to start happening. They wanted that dark rundown feeling, and that's what they got in Sudbury. Um, But we did six weeks in Sudbury, and then we did about four weeks in Hamilton. Uh, The the Hamilton locations were more so interior. We shot at uh, a place called the Scottish Rite, which doubled for the interior of the Spencer Mansion. And then the interior and exterior of the orphanage was uh, the Lloyd George School in Hamilton. And I forget his name, but the guy who plays the doctor. He oh, was Neil in, McDonough. He was in Ravenous. Have you seen Ravenous? His, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that When movie. the man eats the flesh of another. Yes. That's in my top five. My favorite Robert Carlyle movie. Yeah. I watch Ravenous at least once a year. Okay. I love this guy. The best line when he goes to shoot him, that's so annoying because <laughs> it just it cuts all the tension right for no reason um awesome awesome yeah when i i he has a small role in that film but he was so memorable and every time i see him it's always like oh it's the guy from ravenous awesome yep uh, neil mcdonough is his name he's incredible uh, yeah he was a another one that was just a super nice guy um <laughs> His first day of shooting, we're shooting, I think it was his first day, but we're shooting in uh, his house where you first see, he's on the phone and his daughter and wife are in the background in yep. her bedroom and that. And he's wearing this Tall Oaks, uh, like Resident Evil umbrella summer camp t-shirt. It's called Tall Oaks. And I looked over and I was like, you know Tall Oaks is the band camp from, from American Pie, right? He's like, <laughs> I did not know that. He guess he looked it up on his phone. He came to me and yeah. You're right. I'm going to have to keep this now. Uh, watching him get all hulked up for the end was... Because what you guys see on camera is not what I see when I'm there. What I see when I'm there is just Neil McDonough walking around with this really green, weird foam arm thing. And what it became after the fact blew my mind. That's awesome. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was a small part, but he was a pivotal part. And I just, yeah, like I said, I always adore him. It's, uh, it's, it's a remarkably good film. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I think it's a big feather in the cap of, of, of Sudbury and of North Ontario because it looks phenomenal. It looks pro. It is, it is up there with everything else in theaters. That was in no small part to our director and DP com, uh, combo, Johannes Roberts. Uh, loves his horror genre and he's a hell of a director and Maxime Alexander uh, is this lovely lovely little Italian DP Uh, I can't say enough good things about Maxime Uh, luckily I I didn't I didn't look him up on IMDB until after I did my interview with him because otherwise I would have been you know shaking like a leaf yeah Um, but he DP'd some of my like favorite horror movies Hills Have Eyes uh, the Crazies, uh, Silent Hill Revelation, awesome. uh, not on the horror side, but he did. He was the director of photography for the first Shazam movie. Like, 
big time DP. Yeah. Super happy I didn't look him up till after <laughs> the fact. Um, but their their combination really took Resident Evil back to its roots of the video game. Like so much of that, if you've seen the movie, go back and play the first two games. There's a lot of shot for shot stuff in there that is just they nailed. Yeah. Uh, like the opening scene, Buddy the trucker with the burger and hitting the zombie on the side, or the lady, because you don't know she's a zombie yet, on the side of the road. And it's, it's all shot for shot with Resident Evil 2. And uh, I, yeah, I just, it was a great little cast. Uh, it reminded me a lot of um, what Toronto felt after The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Because everyone went, oh, okay, Canada, you can do it. All right, cool. Yeah. We might come uh, back. That was kind of like our, oh, what? Northern Ontario doesn't just do Hallmarks and Canadian TV series? We can actually do major motion pictures? Heck yeah, you can. Yeah, we can. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there was a lot of people brought in from Toronto and stuff still, but 75% of that crew was Northerners. Yep. Uh, people like me who started from the bottom, uh, you know, answering radio ads to get their first job. Um, I mean, that show was a little rough. It was, you know, 45 nights, rain towers almost every night. Uh, in late fall in Northern Ontario, as, as you people from Thunder Bay will know, might as well be winter. It was deceptively cold. Yeah, from what uh, I heard. it's it the first time we, we've, I've ever seen them have to do wet downs, where they, you know, wet down is where they want that sheen on the street from the street lights and everything. They had to go back and then salt the roads after so they could actually drive the cars on them because it would freeze like instantly. Crazy. And we're standing out there in rain towers, shivering and you know like. A great friend of mine, Matthew, he played the, the, the main zombie in that film. And so there's a scene where they're all by the, the police station and they're just banging on the fence and the water's pouring down on them. And he said it was the most difficult day he's ever had on set. And he tried so hard not to scream, <laughs> but he was in pain. He was like, I'm in, I am in pain. It's so cold right now. Yeah, a, a lot of the background was because, like, I mean, we're all bundled up, standing yeah. as much out of the t water as we can, like, in tents. And yeah. the background, you got to give it up for them. They, uh, they really suffered through on that one. And, it, I mean, you couldn't tell any of them were cold. Because, I mean, that's the point of a zombie, right? They're supposed to be a, a emotionless killing machines Yeah, that don't feel things like heat and cold and so the fact that you couldn't tell that they were all freezing to death like it, it, yeah it was it was huge top notch. and there's everyone. nice little uh homages to the game in there too that we would notice when we were walking around on set like you'd walk past the uh the desk in the police station it's like oh there's the typewriter i need to save my game that's oh, hilarious there's a green herb i wonder where the red herb is we need to combine these to make a Stronger potion, or stronger healing. <laughs> There's three nerds that are like, yes. And yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gamer, I'm a, I'm a Star Wars nerd, I'm a video gamer. Like, my one goal in film uh, before I ended my career was, no, I'm not saying my career is over, uh, but it was to work on a big budget zombie movie. And the fact that I got to key it was just, I was, I was in awe. Now that, 
disappeared after about the third night. But, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, careful what you wish for. But uh, on the whole, it was, it was um, an experience I'll never forget. Uh, Tyler, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome watching all the things you do. And, and really, you know, you didn't have to do this. And I really appreciate that you did. It, it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to the students. And it's like I was telling you about the training stuff is, is I'm not just here to talk to these people. I'm, I'm here scouting for my next best boy, my next dolly grip, my next thirds. It's, I can't have a crew if there aren't people that are getting excited about film and willing to do the grueling hours that we do and who wanna jump in and get to work. Like, I, I need all of you to make me look good someday in the future. And so if, you're, if you have any questions, if you're looking to get uh, some work here in North Ontario, because the, the work is there, I keep hearing the work is here, there's not enough people, and we're about to graduate, you know, 37 people into the, work, into the workforce. In when weeks. I started almost 15 years ago now, everyone I worked with in the early stages said that film in Northern Ontario wouldn't last more than two or three years before they pulled the credit. I've now worked in this industry for 15 years almost. We have infrastructure now. We have places like White's. We have studios that are starting to get built. It's not going anywhere. So we need the labor force. Yeah. So for all of you, uh, good luck out there and, con and, and congrats for good timing and, uh, and everything. I want to I wanna end with, uh, with one last thing. Um, I know you're a big fan. And so uh, I just got you a little something. Not, nothing crazy, nothing big, but I got you an American Cinematographer magazine. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> With my good buddy Billy Campbell on the cover. That is awesome. I'm going to have to send him a, a, a shot of that. He's awesome. going to love that. <laughs> oh, wow. I just, I, when, when you said that was one of your faves, I mean, for those few of us that actually saw The Rocketeer when it came out, uh, yeah. Disney Plus if you want to check it out. I it highly, is on Disney Plus. Highly recommend it. It is a phenomenal film. Yeah, one of Paul Sorvino's best roles outside of uh, Goodfellas. This awesome. is awesome. Yeah, uh, everyone, uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, and uh, I, gosh, I'm a, I'm a little flabbergasted. I don't quite know how to end this one, but I'll just say thank you again. How about that? Repet repetition, right? It works. And uh, thank you so much, Tyler. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, training those people in the north, and, and, and let's keep building and growing a phenomenal industry in North Ontario. Uh, I want to say thank you for having me. And uh, second of all, like I said, if, if you don't find your niche in that first show, don't quit on the industry. There is something out there that A, you'll be good at, and B, you'll want to do for the rest of your lives. It may not be grip work, it may be in the digital side of things, but you will find something you like. I know people who their entire family is in the start stunts department. They jump ship and went art. Like, you'll find something you want to do. Awesome. Well, that was it. Normally, uh, we let the song sort of fade out, and then that's it. But I wanted to just give a, a, a quick thank you to all of you that stuck by, that listened throughout this first season, that showed your support. Um, wherever you are across the world, we, we, we appreciate you um, taking the time to uh, share your, your precious time with all of us. 
and to um, let our technicians share their stories with all of you. We really hope to come back for a second season, and we'll keep you all posted if that happens. Um, so please follow us on all, all of our social media at, uh, conflicts. Uh, lastly, a big thank you to uh, the college, Confederation College, for um, allowing us to take on this little, uh, this little venture. Um, a huge thank you to our dean. Uh, we had two through the process, and so for uh, Anne and for Richard, uh, to our president, Kathleen, um, and to everyone who uh, took a part in uh, allowing us to make this happen. Also, a big thank you to Eric Weller. Um, Eric uh, put this room together. Uh, this was a, I don't know what this room was beforehand, uh, but it looks like a podcast room now, and that's all because of Eric. And it sounds the way it does uh, because of him as well. So a big thank you to Eric Weller, the coordinator of our program, who really stepped up to support myself uh, and this this idea. And lastly, a big thank you to uh, Nigel uh, Somerville. So he is one of our students uh, in first year, moving on to uh, second year right now. Uh, Nigel's been amazing. He's been incredibly patient and uh, so energetic through this, this entire process. Every episode except for the Andy Appel episode, he was there sometimes late into the night, um, working hard and seeing this through with me. So a big thank you to Nigel. Couldn't have done it without him. And if we have a second season, I hope he comes back. So to all of us um, here at this college and in the program, thank you again so much for sharing this journey with all of us. And uh, we really hope uh, there's a season two and that you'll be there as well when we're there. Until then, take care.